You know, in our day and age, uh, many of us are skeptical, right? I mean, it's just often for good reason, right? Sometimes we're skeptical because we got burned. Uh, a number of years ago, I went and I was working uh, in villages and stuff in Africa. And I remember in the city, uh, I was walking down the street one time and they spotted a sucker. And so uh, I'm walking down the street and this guy pulls me aside real quick and he's like dressed really nice in a business suit. And he's like, hello, you know, my name is, I don't remember, but uh, he said, we're unloading this whole truck full of furniture and different things and we need some people um, for accountability to stand here and watch the process. And so um, he said, we need you. And then he like spots this other guy walking down the street in like this blue mechanic uniform that just got out and he calls him over and he, he tells him the same thing. And, and the guy's like, oh, okay. And he's like, now to make sure nothing goes missing in this shipment, because I guess there was money and stuff involved. Um, he said, we're going to need to count the amount of cash you have. And so... <laughs> They knew something about Americans that were trusting, uh, and I hadn't been around the block this many years at this point in my life. And so, um, long story short, I'm pulling out my money and handing it to the guy, and he walks around the corner, and then as soon as he gets around the corner, this other dude that was in on it, um, and he's the guy that, like, because they had this guy in on it, which convinced me that it was an okay thing, right? Because it was like, you stand here for 10 minutes, and you're going to make 20 bucks. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I was a poor missionary kid, so I'm like, sure. Um, and then this guy's like, man, I got I to gotta go take a leak. And he goes around the corner, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I've been had. <laughs> Anybody had a similar experience? No, you don't care to admit it. You're like, sucker. But if you struggle in believing the resurrection, let me just say you're not alone. Because after Jesus' crucifixion and his burial, even his closest followers weren't expecting a resurrection. In fact, they were scared to death. They were in hiding. And despite the fact that Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection multiple times, like on Easter morning, the first Easter morning, no one was gathered around the tomb, like counting down. There, that wasn't the scene. Nobody was like, they weren't holding hands, singing Kumbaya and going 10, 9, 8, 7. No, didn't go that way, right? They weren't expecting it. They were mourning. They were in hiding. You see, for, for Jewish or Greek people in the first century, a resurrection like Jesus' followers claimed wasn't even in their paradigm. Like Jewish people expected a resurrection of everyone, but not until the very end of time. Greek mythology, they didn't even want a resurrection. There's this time where uh, um, I think it was Zeus like rebukes this Homer, or I don't remember. Anyway, he, they get rebuked. Greeks didn't even want a resurrection. And so if you think in the 21st century, if you think the resurrection is unlikely, I get it. I understand. And not just what? It's, it's not just the resurrection that's unlikely. And I, here, here's what else I think is really unlikely about this whole Jesus thing. I think it's unlikely that 2,000 years after Jesus walked this earth that you've even heard his name at all, actually. It's, it's highly unlikely 
Now, let me just say, reputable scholars do not dispute that there was a historical Jesus. That was a popular argument in the past, but there's just too much historical proof. And even critical scholars acknowledge that Jesus lived and he died on a Roman cross. Uh, R.C. Ludeman says this. He's a critical scholar, doesn't believe in Jesus. But he says this, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. See, but here's the thing about Jesus. Um, You know, the Romans killed thousands upon thousands of people on crosses, tens of thousands of people, and you don't know any of their names. Well, maybe one, but you don't know know it until I tell you it. Actually, let's see. Does anybody know it? Famous guy. You cheated. Front row always gets it. Spartacus. Spartacus. He was killed. There was a great rebellion. In fact, on that one day when they crucified Spartacus, they crucified 6,000 other people, right? Plus, the other thing is, in in Jewish history, there were other messianic figures. Um, Messiah, you know, the Christ means Messiah. Um, It's the same word, right? One Greek, one Hebrew. But um, there were other messianic figures, um, great kind of liberator kings that they were expecting to come uh, who became more successful and more powerful than Jesus ever was on the time he walked the earth, and you've never even heard of him. One of those guys was named Simon Bar Kokhbar, Simon the Star. Anybody heard of him? If you go here, you have. I've talked about him before. But the reason um, he liberated Israel, you know, that's what they were expecting, which is why so many of them missed Jesus when he came, because he, he didn't come politically and raise up an army. But this guy, he raised up an army, and he actually liberated um, Israel from Rome. And for three years, they had this little um, period of time where they felt like they were freedom. They felt like they were getting back to it. In fact, the greatest rabbi alive, Rabbi Akaba, at the time, he declared that Simon the Star was the Messiah. He, uh, he minted coins saying like year one of basically what it amounted to is the, uh, the Messianic age. They found some of these. And they thought this was it. And then the Emperor Hadrian, after a bloody battle, wiped them off and basically wiped Israel off the face of the map. That's when they changed the name from Israel, it was the Romans, to Palestine because they wanted to remove all identification with the Jews at that point. But guess what? You, you never heard of him, did you? He was far more successful and famous than Jesus, but you never heard of him. No one went on and died for the claims that he rose from the dead. Billions of people are not pausing to celebrate him this weekend all around the planet. And so, like the idea of resurrection, I think it's also highly unlikely that you have even heard the name of Jesus, some obscure rabbi from a hot, dusty corner of the Roman Empire who was killed, really, it seemed like before he could really even start a movement, right? And let me tell you, because the idea of the resurrection is so unlikely to us today, I think we do something really interesting in our culture. And maybe this is where you're at today. In our culture, we like to separate the life and the teachings of Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus. And so we put the resurrection kind of idea back on the shelf and kind of hold up his life and teachings and, and, and elevate that, right? We, we want to resurrect Jesus' teachings, but we're okay with the idea that his body stayed in the grave. See, people like Jesus, generally, in our culture. In fact, very few people have bad things to say about Jesus. I mean, people really like 
what Jesus said, like he's, what he said is just so good, right? About heaven and about faith and loving one another and like, oh, that prodigal son, you know, what was that song? Oh, the, I, I don't remember, but that cool song, you know, the God, this loving heavenly father leaves the 99 or the good Samaritan, like this like inspirational thing, right? Or the Sermon on the Mount and everybody's favorite. I always talk about this around here. Don't judge me, bro. Um, Jesus said that kind of, right? <laughs> Not really. It means something different, but we like to quote him, you know, we like what he said about serving the poor and the displaced and, and how he elevated women and children, which he did in the Roman and Jewish culture. Um, and grace, the grace of Jesus, like next week, don't miss next week because we're teaching through the book of John here and we're going to be in John 8 and there's this amazing scripture where we see this incredible grace that Jesus has for this, for this woman and it's, it, it's an amazing scene, right? So in our culture today, we like to resurrect the spirit and the teachings of Jesus and the generosity and the selflessness modeled by Jesus, but we like to leave his body in a tomb. And so what I want to ask today is, what if that is the case? What if it actually never happened? Would it make any difference to us today, 2,000 years later? And in the first century, there was another very unlikely person who wrote about and addressed this what if what if Jesus never rose from the dead? Uh, this guy was highly educated. Uh, he was on the track, like the fast track to great wealth and influence and power because in first century Israel, uh, the most powerful wealthy people were the religious elite. They had um, incredible wealth, incredible power. In fact, they controlled what basically amounts to our, is the Sanhedrin, basically our Senate and Supreme Court together um, in Israel. And so these guys were powerful, influential, and wealthy, and he was on a fast track to be one of these guys. More than that, um, he became, actually, he's one of the, the foremost persecutors of the early Jesus movement. They were called the way, apparently, because Jesus referred to himself as the way um, more than that one time in John a lot. And this, his early movement became known as the way. And he had heard the claims from all these people who claimed to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus, but he didn't buy any of it. And he was literally like dragging people out of their homes and arresting them. And then something shifted. See, he claimed to have a powerful encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And he ended up becoming one of the most powerful witnesses for Jesus. And I think some of you might know his name, right? His name is the Apostle Paul. And here's the thing that you need to, here's one thing you need to know about him before we read what he wrote. Um, even non-believing critical scholars uh, agree that the Apostle Paul was a real person who lived in the first century and, and wrote letters and had an incredible influence on the emerging Jesus movement, right? Paul wrote many letters. He wrote 13 of these letters that were preserved and copied and passed along and have become a major part of our New Testament. And the letter of Corinthians, the letter to Corinth, is one of them. And I'm going to be reading you something out of Romans or uh, excuse me, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, that Paul writes to address this question of what if. Now, he starts this, this out this way. In 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. Now, just pause for a second. Remind you. See, he had come through several years before this and taught at this church and, and decide, just sort of helping them become better followers of Jesus, right? And so he is writing this in right about A.D. 55. So a couple years earlier, he'd come through. This would be right about A.D. 52. Just tuck that away. That'll be important in just a second. So he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. The gospel means the good news. Like, good news. The message of Jesus was incredibly good news to the people who heard it. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. See, after Paul's ex initial experience that he claims to have had with Jesus and other people witnessed um, where, where he hears a voice and literally is knocked off his donkey, right? Um, he goes and he spends 15 days with Peter, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He met James, the brother of Jesus, and many others who also claimed to be eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And so he goes on, and this is actually the heart of the gospel, of the good news. He says this, for, for this is what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, in fulfillment of what the scriptures wrote, there were hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures um, that, that prophesied what Messiah would do. Jesus fulfilled every one of them. So he said, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So I want to remind you of this, the heart of the gospel, the message of the gospel. Now, I want to look back for just a second at those words, remind you. Now, why is this important? It's because if you're a skeptic or maybe you wandered away from your faith sometime after a high school or college class because somebody brought up some compelling questions that you really never took the time to, to find out if there were good answers for, um, one of the primary arguments that skeptics use against the Christian faith is attempting to refute the historicity of the resurrection. One of the primary arguments. And the basic argument is this, that the resurrection was a myth that came from multiple decades of oral tradition that got passed over and changed over time and then changed to fit an agenda of the leaders of this new movement has emerged. And by the time the accounts were actually written down, so much time had gone by that the, all the eyewitnesses were dead and you know nobody could corroborate the story and the stories had morphed so much that they can't be trusted anymore. It's kind of the heart of this argument, right? Now, here's the issue with this argument. See, scholars um, almost universally agree that Jesus was crucified about somewhere about A.D. 30 to A.D. 33. And so when did Paul write this? I want to remind you, A.D. 55, right? Don't stick with me. I know I'm talking dates, so don't let your eyes glaze over. So A.D. 55, so a couple years before that. What that means is that when Paul taught this originally that he's writing to the people in Corinth, it was only 20 years following the resurrection. 20 years. Now, 20 years isn't that long. I know if you're in your teens or if you're in your 20s, 20 years feels like a long time, right? That's mostly your whole life or more than your whole life. But trust me, like you're going to blink and you're going to look up and you're going to go, 20 doesn't feel that, that long ago, right? 20 years doesn't feel like that long ago. In fact, uh, I told you I've been married 17 years. Um, I'm getting closer 
to my 20th anniversary, which is so hard to believe. But I remember, like, shortly after we were married, my wife and I took this trip to the big island of Hawaii, and um, we hiked out to see this flowing river of lava. And, and it was so crazy, like, as we, you go up and down these, like, little mountains of lava, all, like, hardened, right? And just, it's like a moonscape. Crazy, right? Anybody done that? Uh, it's, it's amazing. And I can still remember, like, um, you, we came up over this one hill after hiking for, for like hours, and there was this giant river of flowing lava right before me. And I can still, almost 20 years ago, vividly remember the feel of the wind, the ocean wind on my face, and the heat from the lava, and the crunch, because it's like broken glass you're walking on, the crunch of the lava. I can vividly remember that. You know, last fall... We had a big um, national anniversary. It had been 20 years since 9-11. How many of you remember in vivid detail where you were when 9-11 happened, right? Yeah. Like if you're over 30, 35 in the room, I bet you remember in vivid detail. And the point is this. How many of you think it's possible that, uh, that 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, the eyewitnesses couldn't remember seeing him in vivid detail? No. Right? And so Paul is writing this. And what's even more, um, look at that bottom section. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. In the Greek, this is actually poetry. And so as scholars have studied this, they believe he is quoting from a known hymn or a known creed, a rhyme that was, that was written to help them remember truth, because they didn't have like, you know, iPhones with Bible apps on them, uh, right? The New Testament is still being written at this point. Um, and so they wanted to help them remember, just kind of like you remember songs that help you remember stuff. Like anybody remember A, B, C, D? Yeah, you could finish that one, couldn't you? And it's the, songs are one of a great way to communicate truth. And so um, what, the, what Paul's quoting here is something very familiar to the church. This is probably a song they sang well, kind of like we sang, you know, um, here, here today, that they would all know by heart. There's a skeptical researcher that set out to disprove Christianity and actually in the process became convinced that Jesus' claims were true. And he tells us why this is so significant as they've studied this in other material. He says this, there is conclusive evidence that Paul drew from material predating his writing that can be traced to within three to eight years of Christ's death. Thus, the burial story can be traced back so close to the time of Christ's death that legendary development is impossible. So there just wasn't time for these oral traditions and legends. No, Paul says, no, this wasn't that long ago, guys. This happened shortly. And see, if this letter was all the early written documentation we had about the resurrection, it would be pretty substantial as far as historical documents. But it's not. The, the Roman historian Tacitus, who hated Christians, he tells us that by the time of Nero, this is only 30 years following the resurrection of Jesus. By the time of Nero, you remember Nero, there was the big fire in Rome. Anybody remember your history? And, and yeah, yeah, and like Nero was fiddling while the fire was, actually it was probably a lute he was playing, but anyway, um, and then the fires went, and then he had to blame it on someone, and so he blamed it on the Christians, right? And they began to persecute Christians and burn them at the stake, and, and Tacitus tells us that Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished Christians, and an immense multitude was convicted. An immense multitude. 
How, only 30 years after Jesus' death, is there an immense multitude of his followers in the city of Rome? It's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to understand, right? How did it happen so quickly? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. So he, Jesus was died, buried, and raised, Paul says. And then verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, another uh, his Aramaic name, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. 500. Most of whom are, are, are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Some died. This is Paul's way of saying, hey, uh, you could go fact check me if you want. Like, I can hook you up with a whole bunch of people to go corroborate this story. Because lots of people saw Jesus. They're still alive. You can go talk to him right now. And then he appeared to James. Now, what would it take for your brother, because this is James, the brother of Jesus, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Just wondering. Um, I'll just leave that there. And then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. See, here's what happened is these early eyewitnesses of, of Jesus' death and his resurrection, they took the message that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and raised, and they took it to all the corners. They took it all around the Roman Empire, the civilized world at that time. And because of their courage and their sacrifice, only 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion, an immense multitude of Christians existed in Rome. And it wasn't just that that did this. It was that all, so many of these apostles, all of the early apostles, Jesus' closest followers, they ended up giving their lives and dying martyrs' death, except for John. He was boiled in oil, which sounds maybe worse, right? They died martyrs' death because they were not willing to deny what they saw, what they saw. See, our faith um, wasn't just based on some teachings, good teachings, as wonderful as they are, it was based on an event. It was based on something they actually saw. And you know what? They, were, they, they saw it, and they're willing to give their lives for this. And you know, you, you might give your life for a lie you're convinced of that you, that you think is true, but nobody makes up a lie and then goes on to die a martyr death for it. On this kind of scale, are you serious? It's just not plausible, Right? And this is why, as you look, like it was the courage and the, and the faith and the boldness of these guys that poured out, and their message was Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one of God. He was God in the flesh. You killed him, and God raised him from the dead. Say you're sorry. It was that message that they shared everywhere. It was their faith and courage that even give up their, their lives for the message that it, resulted in only 30 years after the resurrection, this massive multitude of believers already in Rome. And so Paul says, it happened, and it changed everything for me. And then a little later in the chapter, I'm going to skip some verses, he goes on to discuss, but what if, hypothetically, what if it didn't happen? What if it didn't happen? And here's what he says. And listen up, if, if that's kind of where you find yourself is this kind of thing of like, well, you know, uh, Jesus, I love his teachings and, you know, I love all that cool, that stuff he did, but I'm just not so sure about his claims. And I sure, I'm not sure about his uh, resurrection. Listen to what Paul says as he puts the dots together. He says this in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching 
is useless. It's hollow. It's empty. And so is your faith. And if you're thinking, no, I can still believe in Jesus and heaven and all that without having to actually think the resurrection happened. And Paul, um, you actually, Paul, you wrote some incredibly inspirational stuff. There's that First Corinthians like 13 thing we read at our wedding. Uh, let's see, love is, um, oh, I can't remember. But anyway, it was really good. It made everybody cry. There's that one. And Paul says, no, 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 if he's not been raised... Your faith, your religion, your Christianity, your effort to live a life based on sacrificial love, it's hollow. It's hollow. Peter and John and Paul's primary message, like we said, as they went out, wasn't a set of moral teachings. It was an event that happened, the resurrection of Jesus, right? And all of that Jesus way to live that is beautiful and profound and wonderful, it came as a response to the truth of who he is and the incredible love that he showed for us and the power of God as he was raised from the dead. And Paul says, just write it off. It's futile. It's worthless. It's useless. It's hollow. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses, liars, liar, liar, pants on fire, right? We are found to be false witnesses about God. If you've read the Ten Commandments, you know that's um, not a good one to be, right? For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, I'm a liar, and everything I've written and all the churches I've planted have been based on the claim that the resurrection actually happened. And if it didn't, eh, I'm a liar. And so if you choose to separate Jesus from the resurrection, Paul would recommend, I think, if he were here, that you just, uh, you know, rip all of his letters out of the Bible. Just rip them out. He would say, uh, you, you can't trust him, right? For that matter, Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, like we said, multiple times. If he did not pull it off, um, how could you believe the rest of what he said? Now, if he did pull it off, that should change everything, right? Indeed. In fact, there's this amazing quote. I did a whole message on it a couple months ago, so if you go to church here, you might remember this. Um, it's by a brilliant thinker from the last century, C.S. Lewis. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Like if this, if Jesus really predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, which I believe and so many over the, over the centuries have, it changes everything. Verse 17, Paul goes on, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's worthless. And this is the implication. You are still in your sins. Now I know in our culture, it's like, it's, it's hard for us to talk about sin because for so many, it's like, eh, uh, I mean, we all have made mistakes, right? We'll all own up to that. Like, but sin, I mean, okay, there's a few things. But really, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm pretty empathetic, and I really I respect others and, and their truth, and I'm, I'm like a good person. And Paul would go, um, let's go back a little bit further in the story, Right? See, Jesus, actually, he talks about sin. And, you know, in the, in, you know, you all know the Ten Commandments. I bet you can quote about three or four of them. 
you've done good on murder, hopefully. Um, you know, there's, there's the big ones. Then Jesus comes around, and Jesus really, what he does is he shows us that all these things come from the heart. And so the, the outward murder, it comes from hate. And man, there have been some people that I think I've kind of gone there, right? Um, the covetousness, that wanting something so bad. I mean, you can probably identify with that jealousy in your heart, and it's just icky, and you know that. And you're like, where did that come from? Jesus said all these things come from the heart. Because sin isn't just something we do. Sin's actually a condition we're born into as a member of the fallen human race, right? Um, no one had to teach you to be selfish, did they? I mean, that one just like popped on the radar. You were, I don't know, <laughs> six, eight months, and you're like, mine, right? You whacked somebody, you bit somebody. I know, I got kids. See, it's, it's a condition of the heart, right? Your thoughts have gone somewhere you've been ashamed of, you've lied, you've hurt others. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means missing the mark that sin separates us from a perfect, holy God. In fact, Jesus, he's talking to like really religious people who have their truth really figured out and they think they're in. They're checking off the list and he says, there's going to be some of you that are doing all these really religious looking things and I'm actually going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Which is scary, right? And Paul says, you're, you're still in your sins if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. You're like, oh, wait, 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 no, but okay. So I am a sinner. I'll admit it, but God forgives. In fact, there's that one, like if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Where'd you hear that? John. What did John also say? Uh, he said he's an eyewitness of Jesus rising from the dead. That's a problem if he's not telling the truth. Um, oh, my favorite one. I preach this almost every Easter and Christmas. For God so loved the world that, whoso, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Where'd you hear that? Again, John. See, there's implications to this. In every culture, in every religion, aside from Christianity, is an effort to work hard enough and check, check off enough boxes and tip the scales in our favor enough. I saw something with Hinduism. They believe that you got to be reincarnated like six million times to finally get it right, till you go off to nothingness and nirvana, right? The difference between grace is he says, yeah, you're a sinner, but your sins through faith in me, through what I did when I died on the cross for you and rose again, I took the penalty of your sin. Passover, we just celebrated it here. We had a, a Seder here last night. The Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice, that was Jesus. And it's a free gift offered to anyone who puts their faith and trust solely in, what, in him and what he did. You don't earn it. It's a gift. You just receive it, Right? the heart of the gospel. Verse 18, then the result, those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. Their hope to see your loved ones again, 
I believe in heaven. That's because you were raised in a culture that still has many echoes of Christianity. We're kind of post-Christian in many places now. Right? You know, an echo, you go out in the canyon and the monument, and you go, echo, and it echoes back. We still have a lot of that in our culture. Popular notions, right? And, that, and what Paul's saying is here is take the resurrection away. There's no hope or assurance of a life after death, of an eternity. See, if, if it's not true, you just kind of make up your own truth claims and cross your fingers, right? Which is pretty much what most people do if you, if you have conversations around with friends or maybe that's where you're at tonight. You're like, I hope, right? This is my truth and, and I hope, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And so you can either hang on to your truth and cross your fingers and hope for the best, or you can look for truth in the one who claims to be the truth. Paul goes on, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the only thing you get out of following Christ is what you get in this life, you've wasted it, Paul says. And you know what? Here's the thing. In America, for a whole lot of years, like there was actually some great so, sort of social benefit and maybe even business networking benefit that you got from, from being in church. We still see some of that maybe, but not near as much as we used to, right? But for most of history, Christians have been persecuted for their faith. For much of history, in many places around the world still, people are being persecuted and killed and giving their life for their faith, for what they claim, they claim to experience. I mean, I've heard so many people with uh, so many stories of people experiencing the, the power of the living God personally. How many of you have experienced the power of the living God in your life? Yeah. At some point. Now, I would love to hear all those stories because there's like lots of stories associated with that. I, I know time and time again that like stories of people coming to faith because Jesus appeared to someone in a dream or a vision in Muslim countries. It's like, wow, well, that's what I would expect if he's actually alive. But he says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we have our, of all people most to be pitied. I, I didn't go get shipwrecked and abandon my, I was on the fast track to success. I mean, if this isn't true, what a waste. What a waste. In fact, later in this chapter, he concludes with a statement. He says this, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Famous phrase that the uh, Epicureans made up, and we know it as YOLO, you only live once. Right? That's basically the mentality. If this is all there is, then yeah, he who dies with the most toys wins. Go for gusto, live it up, sleep it up, whatever, right? Grab everything you can. 
because this is all there is. Paul says, no. See, anybody watch those, any of those like Viking dramas on Netflix? It's brutal, isn't it? And that was the condition of Scandinavia prior to the gospel and many places around the world. You have no idea the impact the gospel of Jesus has made on the way you think about life and human value and dignity and all these things. Again, we live with the echoes of that, right? And I love this. Paul makes this statement after he writes all this about the resurrection. He says, but, and literally in the Greek, but as a matter of fact, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And this is an incredible encouragement. If you're a follower of Jesus, your hope is not in vain. Your faith, it means something. It's not in vain. Your sacrifice is not in vain. Your generosity is not in vain. Your service to others is not in vain. Your prayers, your hope at a loved one's funeral are not in vain. Following Jesus matters. It matters more than anything. As we close here today, I'm going to invite the band up. And the challenge is this. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is the issue to wrestle with, like this is the thing to wrestle with. Who was who Jesus? And, and did he do what he claims to have done and what all these eyewitnesses claim? And, you know, like this uh, detective that started trying to disprove the resurrection and the researcher I quoted, many people have gone to research it and have discovered in the process faith. Oh, it really happened. And they've come to follow Jesus. That's the issue to wrestle with. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if his claims are true and if he really predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off, that's a game changer. And it may reorient your entire life. That's the issue. Not how Christians have treated you. Not how church people have acted in the past. You know what? The truth is, church is full of hypocrites. There's many hypocrites. But you know, the message of the gospel isn't that you're enough, that you've got it all together. The message is you need a savior. And so... We, we, we know the church has hypocrites, right? The institutional church over history has some awful things in its past, scandals, abuses, crusades, but all these things are like, they come from not actually following Jesus, right? From behavior that's in opposition to the message in the heart of Jesus. The church is also filled with many, many people who are imperfect, but who are being transformed by a living Savior and actually beginning to experience the abundant life he promised. You're sitting next to some people like that. So I encourage you, wrestle with this question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if he did, how should that impact my decision to listen to what he says? I encourage you. I challenge you. Would you ask, as we close this song, maybe just speak this out as a prayer. Maybe you're like, I don't really pray. You just, prayer is just speaking to God. Would you pray to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, if you really are alive, would you reveal yourself to me?
I believe he's alive. I've experienced him in powerful ways. He's changed my life. And I believe he can change yours. And others, maybe you just feel God tugging at your heart right now. Maybe like you heard the message as a kid, but it's been decades since you really gave it any like legitimate place in your heart. And you know he's inviting you to re-engage. He's inviting you back home. When he conquered death, he validated his message, his claims. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He validated the incredible love he has for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And Paul writing in another letter, he says, here, here, here's where you want to know how to receive this? He says this, Romans 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you stand? And as we go into this song, I just want to give you an opportunity, if that's you in the room, if that's you joining us online right now, just to pray a simple prayer like this after me. God, I know that I've sinned. I've sinned against you, and I'm deserving of punishment. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, he took the punishment that I deserve. And I believe that through faith in him, I can be forgiven and have eternal life. So forgive me. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for eternal life. I want to follow you and live out of gratitude for what you've done for me. Let's sing. Lord, you are a living hope, and we worship you, and we say thank you that you are willing to come to walk this earth, to live, to die for us, and that you rose again, that we might have hope and life in you. We worship you this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, two things before you get out of here. If you want to research more, we've got some resources, YouTube videos on the resurrection. Go to this uh, lifegj.org forward slash resources, and you can check that out. If you gave your life to Jesus today, would you fill out a blue card and drop that in that black box or just let us know? And then I'm going to invite, if we have anybody in our prayer ministry team in here, would you please come on up right now? And in just a minute, there'll be somebody on either side of the stage uh, that can pray for you if you need prayer for anything. Bless you. Have a wonderful Easter.